there, fabulous mamas. Welcome to Embracing the Mom Life Chaos podcast. I'm Dee, your mama bestie, a wife, and a proud mom of four chaos creators. Consider me your go-to mama life coach and the master of all things kids sleep. In each episode, I'll spill the beans on my real and raw experiences with practical tips and of course, share a bunch of laughs. From surviving sleepless nights to understanding self-discovery, we're all on this hot mess train together. I'll dish out unfiltered mom truths and the secrets to conquering them. Let's dive into this week's episode. Hey, hey, mamas. Welcome back to another episode of Embracing Mom Life Chaos. I am super excited about today's episode. I first want to say I apologize for my voice. I have a little bit of a cold going on. We had a rough weekend over here, but I am back at it and super excited to talk about what is potentially one of the most controversial topics when it comes to raising kids, and that is sleep training. As you know, I'm a certified pediatric sleep consultant, and I have sleep trained all four of my kids using four different methods at four different ages. I am not here to mom shame you if you are not into sleep training, if you don't believe it's a thing, if you don't believe it's right. That is your belief, and you are entitled to your own opinion. But what I am here is to inform you about what sleep training is, what your options are, and how every child is actually sleep trained because Sleep training is the act of learning independent sleep. Yes, some kids are better sleeper than others. I have a perfect example of that with my children. My first was an amazing sleeper. My second was a terrible sleeper. I slept on the couch for four months with her. It was not safe. It was not ideal. And I was broken after that time. There is also no perfect age to sleep train. Well, yes, a baby in a crib tends to respond a little bit quicker than a toddler or a preschooler, it does not mean that you missed this boat to sleep train. I work mostly with 12-month-olds to 4-year-olds. That is a big age range, and that is probably a lot later than you think most kids are sleep trained. So many people talk about cry it out, and I do not suggest cry it out method. It is not something I did with my own kids, but if that's what feels good to you, then go for it, girlfriend. I have lots of friends who have used Cry It Out and their babies are not damaged. Their babies thrived and they are now little tiny humans and some of them are even bigger tiny humans and they are okay. So whatever method you choose when you sleep train is totally fine. It's more about having them get quality sleep and having you get quality sleep so that you can be the best version of yourself for you, for your partner, and for your kids. Okay, so let's dive into what sleep training is. Sleep training is the act of teaching independent sleep. It does not mean that you still can't feed overnight. It does not mean that you still can't cuddle them. It does not mean that you still can't lay with them every once in a while. It does not mean when they're sick that you ignore their needs. It does not mean that you're not responsive. It means that you're teaching them how to fall asleep without you or without other associations. Some other associations would be rocking, swaying, being held, um, being swaddled because eventually they need to be unswaddled. You know, it's it's not a bad thing to have some sleep associations, but you don't want a sleep association that they can't fall asleep without. And yes, this includes pacifiers because if a baby can't put a pacifier back in by themselves, well, then they wake up and they need their pacifier put back in. I call it the pacifier pop. And if you are okay doing that, that is totally fine. And that is something that I want to emphasize in this episode is that each kid is 
different, each parent is different, and there is no right or wrong way to sleep train, and there's no right or wrong way to raise your child. There's no good versus bad about raising a kid or about sleep or about nutrition. It's all about what is more beneficial and If you choose to sleep train, you're not a bad parent either, and you should not be shamed for that. If you don't want to sleep train, you're not a bad parent, and you don't need to be shamed for that either. Okay, I just realized I said you're not a bad parent, and but I also just said there's no good versus bad. And yes, I agree, but you should not be shamed for sleep training, nor should you be shamed for not wanting to sleep train. That is your decision and your decision alone. You're raising your tiny family the way that you want to raise your tiny family. You don't need advice from your mom. You don't need advice from your mother-in-law. You don't need unsolicited advice from friends. It is your decision to do what you want with your kids, but you do not put that on other people either. Okay, so now that we got that out of the way, we know what sleep training is, and most likely if you're listening to this episode, you realize that you have more than one kid and you have probably sleep trained in one form or another your child. So what does this look like? Sometimes it's, oh, they're just fussing a little bit. Just give them five minutes and then they're going to go back to sleep. And you know that as a mom. That's sleep training because you're teaching them the skill of independent sleep. Now, some kids require a lot more attention with it. With my second, sleep training was not easy, but it was something that had to be done because I could not exist living on the couch anymore. I look back at pictures and I didn't realize how bad I actually looked and how sleep deprived I actually was. I remember a lot from that time, but there are a lot of things I have blocked out as well because I was just so tired. I didn't have the mental capacity to remember. So with her, there is a method called pick up, put down, and I did a lot of that. I did a lot of shush and pat. I comforted her. I was right there with her trying to get her to sleep so that she could sleep in her crib so that she wasn't sleeping on me or in the boppy, which is extremely unsafe, and I do not recommend it. I don't even recommend bringing them into your home to get into that habit. Snuggle me, docketot, whatever you want to have, I don't re- recommend them. It is just something that you are going to have to work out of. So, with pick up, put down, it sounds just like it is. You comfort them, you pick them up, soothe them, get them calm, and put them back down because you want to get them used to the crib. Now, as your child gets older, and if you choose to sleep train a little bit older, like a toddler or preschooler, there's other methods we use because obviously they do not soothe in the same way that a baby does. And that's something that I want to emphasize as well is sleep training is not a one-size-fits-all. Yes, there are methods, but there are methods that I use all the time that are a combination of methods because it's what I find works best for some kids. And so it's something that is so custom customizable, but something in a broad sense that you can do as well. And every parent is different. Some parents read a book and say, I'm doing this and they do it and it's great. And then they try it with their second child and it doesn't work and they get so confused and they feel like a failure. But what it actually comes down to is that every child is different. Some kids need more attention. Some kids need less attention. Some kids are fine with some space and just like fussing in the crib for a few minutes before they fall asleep. And some kids need that human touch. And that's okay. And I think really that's what it comes down to. And that's why sleep training sometimes has such a bad name and is because people think of cry it out. And they think of the fact that you put them in the crib or you put them in the room if they're in a toddler bed and you close the door and they are not allowed out and you just let them figure it out. That is unresponsive. And that's okay. Again, if that's your deal and that's your jam, go for it, girlfriend. I don't care. 
You do you. But there is no research to say that your child is going to be damaged down the line because you let them cry it out as a baby or a toddler. Because the hard truth is, is that if you have two or more kids, you know that toddlers and preschoolers cry and scream and have fits over the tiniest things. And you don't think in those moments that they're going to be damaged. If you don't want them to have more ice cream and they have a fit, do you think they're going to be damaged from crying? If they have the wrong sock on and they have a fit, do you feel that they're going to be damaged from crying? No, you don't because you know that they are little humans reflecting their opinion and projecting their opinion so that they try to get what they want. And it's the same thing for sleep. And sometimes parents have such a bad association about crying to sleep. But the truth is, is your baby's going to cry, your toddler's going to cry, your elementary kid's going to cry, and I bet you cry as an adult. So yes, while working with me, I don't suggest cry it out, but I have had parents pivot to cry it out and they have been totally fine with it and that has been their prerogative. And I will support you if that's your decision. But when I write my sleep plans for a toddler or a preschooler, I don't put cry it out in. We go in phases. We want them to be part of the process. Toddlers and preschoolers crave control. So give them the control within your boundaries. It's very simple to do. But a lot of times us as parents, we're actually the ones that are having a harder time with it for the simple fact that the day is done, it's bedtime, and you just want your kid to go to bed. Which nine times out of 10, it backfires on us because we're trying to rush through the routine or maybe there isn't even a solid routine. And some nights you do this and some nights it changes or if mom puts them to bed, it's different or if dad puts them to bed, it's different. But the truth of the matter is, is toddlers thrive on control and routine. So when you combine the two, give them control within their routine, it can make a huge difference in how bedtime goes to less protesting, to less crying, to less tears, to less asking for more and more and more and more water, another story, another hug, another kiss, just lay with me for another three minutes. I've been there many times over. My five-year-old, oh, I'm sorry, she's six now. My six-year-old still sometimes is like, please lay with me. And she was having a really, really hard week last week. And I laid with her for two nights until she fell asleep. But guess what? That's not the norm. So these special little moments were really special to her and made it feel really big to her. It also made her feel like she was in control of the situation. When I went into that night and me and my husband had discussed, I'm going to lay with her tonight until she falls asleep. Now, she is also my second child and she would crawl back and side of me if she could and she is all about human touch and that's okay but that's not my norm if that was my norm that I had to lay with her every single night I would go crazy I have other kids to tend to yes and me and my husband divide bedtime because we want to get bedtime done and our kids need to go to sleep especially with activities and some kids get home late and this and that but I still couldn't do that every single night and feel good about myself because I am out touched at the end of the day. And yes, I want to fly through bedtime routine. But my kids know 100% what the routine is because we have been doing it for so long. Even my two and a half year old knows we brush teeth, we go to the potty, we get our PJs on, we read a story, and then we get tucked up because that has been the routine for her whole entire life. And it is amazing that she knows it and there's no tears, there's no fighting. And she just does it and goes to bed. My kids know the routine so well that, as I said, we were sick over the weekend. And on Monday night, my four-year-old asked if my eight-year-old could put her to bed. 
I was like, sure. My husband wasn't home. One kid was at gymnastics. I was like, sure. Why don't you go put her to bed? Well, she goes, okay, let's go brush our teeth. Go to the bathroom. Let's read a story. Turn on the sound machine. Turn on the humidifier. Turn off the light. And the bedtime routine was done. And my eight-year-old was able to do it in about 15 minutes. And my four-year-old went straight to sleep. And she wasn't feeling good that day, but she wasn't feeling completely terrible by bedtime. But she wanted her sister to put her to bed. And it was something that was totally doable. That probably sounds like a dream to you, having your older child put your younger child to bed. Remember, my kids are a little bit older. They're too four, six, and eight at this point. But I could have said that my oldest at six years old probably could have put my younger kiddos to bed, not in the crib, but the ones who were in um, actual beds at the time. My now six-year-old knows the routine so well as well. She wants to put the two-year-old to bed sometimes. Now, my two-year-old doesn't exactly have it, and I'm okay with that, but I let her be part of the routine. And so that she's the one that can pick out the story and help read to her and because she's learning how to read. And it's something really special and really sweet. And bedtime is not stressful. But I do know when bedtime is stressful. Like we have overtired kids. We have cranky kids. You know, at a certain point, one of my kiddos only wanted my husband to put her to bed and one of my other kiddos only wanted me to put her to bed. And we had to hold our boundaries. Every other night, you get mom and dad. And that is just the rule in our house. And that's what makes it seem really smooth in our house because you we can't give in. We have other kids who want our attention too. And that can be really hard as parents sometimes to figure out how to divide the attention. Not only just divide the attention, but sometimes we just think it's easier if we just give in to the what the child wants. Oh, you want mom to put them to bed? Okay, great. Well, mom, are you burnt out from putting your kids to bed and you want dad to be able to do it? Does dad feel bad that he can't put the kids to bed on a normal night, that they always want mom, that he can't take any of the pressure off of you. I mean, what a perfect opportunity to set up new boundaries in the house and new expectations in the house than around bedtime. Hey, this is how we're doing bedtime. And maybe bedtime has to be done together for a few nights. Both mom and dad are putting you to bed tonight. And maybe mom has to leave the house at bedtime so that dad can put it the kids to bed so they don't see you and they don't have the option to come running to you. That is really, really hard. And I know what that feels like. And it's not a good feeling. When my now two and a half year old only wanted me, I remember me and my husband having open communication about it because open communication in a relationship and when you have children is extremely important. And I remember having a conversation with him one night and me saying, I just have to leave. I need to not be present in the house. I don't need her to see me before bedtime. I need to give her lots of hugs and kisses. And then you just need to put her to bed. There's going to be tears. It's going to be hard. And what he did was he was completely responsive to her. He laid with her for a few minutes so that she felt comfortable. It was an adjustment. But taking that pressure off of me was much needed because I couldn't be doing it every single night. At the time, she was going through a little bit of a regression. She was in a toddler bed. She refused to sleep in her toddler bed anymore. She was sleeping on the floor. She was still waking up at night. Because of this regression and then wanting me to lay with her and I would lay with her for a few minutes, ultimately falling asleep. And yes, this is my fourth kid. Yes, I had already been a certified pediatric sleep consultant. Yes, I had already gone through this, but this was how I needed to respond. And I think so many parents think that sleep training is like once it's done, you wash your hands of it and it's just done. But kids are not robots. Kids experience lots of developmental shifts. 
We ex- they experience lots of emotions, and it's okay that I had to do that, and I want you to know that that's normal. But with that being normal, it does not need to be your normal on the daily. So that was a period of maybe 10 days that that happened. And then I was like, okay, we can no longer do this. So when she would wake up in the middle of the night, I would sit next to her. I would no longer lay with her. And I gradually removed that support. And then she was fine. And then we got her a bigger bed and she slept in the bed. And here we are, gosh, I don't know, five months later, six months later. And it's okay. And so I think a big fallacy around sleep training too is that, you know, everybody says that, you know, if you sleep train young, then you have to re-sleep train. And it's not re-sleep training. It's actually just getting them used to a new environment. So when they move from a crib to a bed, that's a really big adjustment. Imagine having all the freedom in the world. Imagine coming going from a 500-square-foot apartment to a 3,000-square-foot home. You all of a sudden have all this space that you need to figure out what to do with and figure out how do you want to spend your time in that space as opposed to only having like a bed, a couch, and a kitchen table. So I think we need to reframe the dialogue around sleep training and understand that it's learning independent sleep. It doesn't mean that we're leaving our kids just to cry and figure it out on their own. Sleep training can be incredibly responsive, and most of the time it is. And I think that the people who try to shame you if you want to sleep train are actually underinformed about what sleep training is. Now, I'm probably going to go off on another little tangent about this, but let's talk about co-sleeping. Personally, I am not a fan of co-sleeping. I do not want to co-sleep with my children. I want to share my bed with my husband, and I want my space in my bed. There are many reasons people fall into co-sleeping. Sometimes it just becomes easier because your baby is nursing overnight so many times, and then you don't have to get up. Sometimes it happens because your toddler comes running into your room, and you just want to sleep, and then everybody gets some sleep. Sometimes it happens because your toddler does come into your room and he gets to sleep better or she gets to sleep better, but then you don't sleep better. But we need to think about the other aspects of co-sleeping that aren't talked about and the other side effects. Number one, yes, there are plenty of people around the world who co-sleep. However, they are different cultures and different environments. In a lot of these homes, it's a multi-generational home in a small space, and you will find that there is somebody a week lots of time throughout the night. Number two, a lot of times co-sleeping is not done safely. If you know what safe co-sleeping is, then go for it, girlfriend. Like that is your prerogative, but make sure that you are not going to end up with a blanket or a pillow on top of your baby. Number three, how is your relationship being affected by the fact that you're co-sleeping? Yes, we 100% put our children first, but have you had a hard conversation with your partner about co-sleeping and are your goals aligned? I want you to remember why you had a kid. You love someone, right? And that is crucial to your whole entire life. You fell in love with someone. You either got married or just are long-term partners. You had a kid. You still love each other. And I don't want you to forget that. A really hard question that even I admit that I have a hard time answering, do you put your partner or your kids first? And there are times that your partner is going to come first. And there's times that your kid's going to come first. Of course, you have a baby. They literally need you to survive. Toddlers need you to survive. Elementary kids need you to survive. And I completely understand that. But you can't put your relationship completely on the back burner when you have kids because your relationship is why you have a child. And you need that open communication. And a lot of times people feel really out of sync because the mom feels that a lot falls on them most of the time. And the dad is 
sometimes not understanding of all the emotions and everything that you're going through. And that's okay. That is normal. It is 100% normal. And I would like to normalize that a little bit more. But if you can have open conversations and open communication and say, hey, I had a really hard day today. Can you do bedtime routine? Even though you normally do it, including if you have a baby and you're breastfeeding or toddlers, like if you're a stay-at-home mom and you're with the kids all day. I have numerous times that I have said to my husband, even though he has been out working and I have been home, been like, I'm tapped out. When you get home, I need 20 minutes. I was actually just watching an episode of Bluey with my kids and I forget what the name of the episode was, but it was this exact moment. Mom just needed 20 minutes and the dad was literally doing everything to keep Bluey and Bingo away from mom because she was tapped out at the end of the day. And that is totally, totally normal. But when it comes to sleep and bedtime routine and overnight wakes and co-sleeping, I need you to be open in communication with your partner about it and have them truly try to understand what you're going through. If you have a baby and you're waking up all the time to feed them, well, maybe dad can take a feed or your partner can take a feed and they can, you know, feed a bottle or you feed and then they worry about getting them back to bed and doing the diaper change and all of that. It is possible. And yes, I know the guilt that can come associated with that. Oh, well, they're back at work and I'm still at home. You know, I can sleep during the day when the baby comes. Yes, but it takes two to tango and it takes two to make a baby. And it's really, really important that you find a way to have your partner help when you have a baby. And then let's go into toddlerhood. Toddlers protest. Toddlers probably have a preferred parent. And that's okay. They're little people. They're allowed to. Just like you have preferred person that you go to if you're really stressed about something. That's what happens. You are their safe place. But that doesn't mean that you need to become outtouched, overwhelmed, anxious, and burnt out because of it. So you're listening to this episode and you're saying, D, oh my gosh, yes, like me and my partner do not communicate. Oh my gosh, yes, I'm so done co-sleeping, but it's just so much easier right now. You have to put in work for any change to happen in your life. Things don't just happen with the snap of a finger. I wish they did. Trust me, I wish they did. So how do you know if you're ready to sleep train? You're tired. You're burnt out. You get frustrated with bedtime routine, or maybe you don't have a bedtime routine. You realize that your three-year-old can be sleeping through the night and doesn't have to cry out multiple times that you need to go soothe them. You are frustrated with your partner. You are frustrated with yourself. And at the end of the day, you are just so tired of being tired of feeling overwhelmed and burnt out and you just want your kid to sleep good. Also, let's just add, it's not a rite of passage to constantly be exhausted as a parent. You don't need to live like that. And when you come to the other side of it, it is eye-opening what you are able to tolerate. Why is sleep deprivation a form of torture? Because it's literally torture. And yes, in that early newborn stage, and those early months, yes, it is totally what happens. But they need to eat every couple hours to survive. But as they grow, they should be doing longer stretches. And as long as they're progressing, that's great. I mean, everybody has a different tolerance of what they're able to handle. But on the same token, you don't have to tolerate it if your baby is growing well and your pediatrician says that it's okay to sleep train. And no, I am not a firm believer that you need to sleep train at four months. That is why I 
mostly work with 12 months to four years because parents realize a lot later that they don't need to be doing this. And also their toddler sometimes then has behavioral issues because they're so overtired and they're cranky because they don't get sleep. Think about how you are, whether it's when you have kids or pre-kids, when you didn't get a lot of sleep. And no, not when you were 21 partying and all. You were like, oh, I partied till 2 o'clock in the morning, then got up at 6 o'clock and went to work. Yes, we did that. But our bodies were different then. But when you don't get a lot of sleep or you get poor sleep, you're cranky the next day. You're irritable. You don't really want to talk to people. Like you just constantly think about the next opportunity that you get to sleep. Toddlers don't have that developmental mindset of, oh, I get to take a nap today. Like they think more, oh, I get to play with all these toys and I get to do this and whatnot. And I get to go to the park with mom or I get to go to the library with dad and whatever it may be. And that's awesome. But they don't know what they need. Like they would eat ice cream and sugar and candy and juice all day long, probably, if we let them. Yes, there are exceptions to that. And like my kids enjoy fruit all the time and that's great. But they don't know how much sleep they need. You know how much sleep they need. And yes, I have a pretty little sleep chart of how much sleep at every age they're supposed to be getting. But it's a range of sleep because there are some kids that are low sleep needs and some kids that are high sleep needs. But you need to focus on the demeanor of your child if they need more sleep. And a lot of times, if you focus on sleep, daytime gets so much better. And when you see that transformation, you're like, oh, this is great. And then when they don't have a good night's sleep, you're like, oh, wait, yes, I remember why I sleep trained you and did what I did because you are such a happier child when you get the proper amount of sleep for you. I am not here to tell you that you need to sleep train your child, but I'm here to let you know that there are options to sleep training that make it feel comfortable for you. And if you are someone who is struggling with sleep, whether it is a hard time at bedtime or multiple night wakes or you're co-sleeping and you want to stop co-sleeping, I am here for you. I offer a three-week one-on-one package that offers you all the support that you need. The support is the special sauce because we get to pivot and do all the things and learn about your child and what they need in that moment so that you can get a better night's sleep and your child can get a full night's sleep. The positive effects of sleep training are more than just your child sleeping and you sleeping. You can see effects in how you act towards your child. You are being short-tempered. You're feeling overwhelmed. You're feeling anxious. You're feeling burnt out by the end of every day. And then with your partner, getting your relationship back with your partner because there are definitely a lot of times it takes a pause. And if you get that connection back, that is an amazing feeling to have with your partner. And then also just being in sync with your partner about growing your family and having and raising your kids the way that you want to raise your kids. And I think that is so, so special. So yes, while I absolutely love sleep training and I love that it gets a child to sleep and it gets the mom to sleep, mostly the mom because this is a podcast about moms, but it gets you to sleep more. It also gets so many other positive benefits. You have more energy during the day to do what you want to do. It also gives you time at the end of the night for you or for you and your partner. When was the last time you were able to sit down at the end of the day on the couch, whether you doom scroll next to each other and send TikToks back and forth or watch a show that you're both really into or sit next to each other and read the same book? When was the last time you were able to do something like that? And if you said, 
too long, well, then maybe you need to consider sleep training. And if you don't want to consider sleep training, that's totally fine. I am not here to push sleep training on you. I just want you to know that there are options out there for you that can greatly benefit the whole entire household. So if you're looking for more information, I'll link in the show notes my link to book a call with me so we can talk about what's going on in your house, how sleep's going or not going, and what goals you're trying to set and how you're trying to change sleep in your home. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. I am super, super passionate about sleep. I love sleep. My kids love sleep. My husband loves sleep. And it really, really works well for us. And I want sleep to work well for you too. Thanks for joining Embracing the Mom Life Chaos. If you've enjoyed today's episode, subscribe, share, and leave a review. Your feedback keeps us thriving. Remember, you're rocking this mom thing one messy moment at a time. Until next time, mamas.